0: Father, we, uh, we thank you for the opportunities that arise, whether it's international or it's right here at home. We pray that you would help us to be faithful witnesses submitted to you and to your spirit and your guiding that we may know what to do in any situation, whether we speak your name in prayer or we are speaking your name to others who need salvation. We ask for your blessing on this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, like I said, it was about 35 hours coming back here. Going there is about 22 hours. Uh, on Going there, you get a sore bum sitting down for so long. One of the uh, sections of the flight going there is 12 hours from Seattle down to South Korea. And the reason it takes 12 hours is because you're fighting a 200-mile-an-hour headwind in the jet stream. Coming back, it reduces to nine hours because you're going with the jet stream. And you're sitting the whole time in that little uh, tube in the air, flying along with all the the rough skies that are there, And, and just coping with that, that's a trial in itself. So... And if you ever take a flight like that, you'll know what I'm talking about. Now, when I get all done with describing what took place, the reasons I believe the Lord wants us to do that, it, you may have some questions about international ministry going elsewhere. And at the end, I'll see if there's any questions or for anybody who's online that's watching. There's a few who are watching online. If they have questions, they can type them in and Daryl will let me know what they are. But so where have I been for the past two weeks? It's been Cambodia, specifically in the city of Phnom Penh. Phnom Penh is a bustling city. It's not like it was back in 2016. I think we went in 2018. Um, A couple of people here have been there. Rudy, you're one of them, right? And Nate, who just did the announcements, he's another one that has been there. But the city has changed Uh, China has had an influence. They have a Belt and Road program, and they're doing that in South America and in Africa and in Cambodia, Vietnam. What they're doing is they're providing funds for infrastructure for the countries where they will have roads put in. They will build high-rises, hotels, things like that. And the countries become so indebted, the interest rate is so high that they start making trades. They will say, well, I tell you what, since you can't pay for this, we're going to take over this harbor. And they take the harbor. Or we're going to take over your natural resources. So in effect, they conquer these countries and they haven't fired a shot. And that's what they're doing around the world. And when you go to Cambodia, I noticed when we were leaving the other day, uh, it was at night about 10 o'clock. The... Hotels in front of the airport were all Chinese. They were all Chinese hotels. So they're having a tremendous influence over there. And some of the regulations that they're imposing, they will eventually stop uh, individuals from sharing their faith or coming in. Missionary activity are greatly restricted. And, and that's the whole goal because they're a godless country. So that's where we have been in, in Phnom Penh. And as I go through this, it has been the case in the past when I show a few pictures, and I think I have about 10 pictures here I'll go through when I've done that some people feel guilty like well he's showing us those pictures and trying to make us feel guilty because we didn't go or we didn't support that and that's not my intention at all. Uh, If the Lord calls you to go great if he doesn't call you to go great. Uh, I don't know if you guys remember a man by the name of Keith Green. Keith Green he had a lot of music back in the late 70s early 80s he died in a plane crash And he was real instrumental in my faith, and I listened to him a lot. One of the things that he said was, it's not if God calls you to go, it's if God calls you to stay. And that has influenced me. Uh, I I don't believe that I'm supposed to just be one place sharing the gospel or ministering to those. I believe I'm supposed to go international. But that's not the case for everybody. Not everybody can go. And so if there's any tinge of guilt that you haven't been able to go, well, it's not caused by me. It might be caused by the Holy Spirit. And if it's caused by the Holy Spirit, well, you better go. Uh, That's all I can say. So I I wanted to give you that. Now I'm going to show you some pictures here. Uh, Daryl. first the 1040 window one. If you had put that up, it's always been my desire to go to the area of the 1040 window. And that's the area that's highlighted there on the picture. It's the 10th parallel and the 40th parallel. That section of the world, uh, rarely do people hear the gospel. And we learned from going down to Mexico Caravan Ministries and building some homes down there that a person in Mexico has the opportunity to hear the gospel twice a day. A person in the United States has the ability to hear the gospel once a day. Somebody in the 1040 window, they'll be lucky if they hear it once every 100 years. And so there's a big mission field over there, and it's one of the places that we get to go. Uh, to share the gospel another place would be India There, they rarely get the gospel there's a lot of Buddhism a lot of Hinduism a lot of Muslim activity in that window and that's the area that needs the gospel more than anywhere else and so that is the 1040 window that stretches from West Africa all the way over to Japan so um, next just bring up a random picture and we'll look at it I don't know if you know that guy but uh, that guy is pulling some teeth right there. Uh, normally when I go over there, I've been in charge of eyeglasses, reading glasses like these. And giving the people information uh, about what to do for their eyes. Some people that are completely blind show up for the eyeglasses. We as a church purchase 500 sunglasses as well because you may have an issue with the sun beating on your eyes. If you don't wear sunglasses outside, I don't care if your eyes are brown or they're blue, you have a chance to get pterygium, uh, pinguicula, cataracts, um, glaucoma. All these diseases can be exacerbated by the sun. So you're supposed to be wearing eyeglasses. And that's one of the things that we tell them when we go over there and hand these things out. So uh, this was the first tooth that I pulled. And uh, I was watching, I was assisting In pulling the teeth and that is a unique thing in Cambodia Um, I'm gonna describe it a little bit the first time I looked into somebody's mouth that were in some of these remote villages in Cambodia it wasn't pleasant Uh, there are some people that have they haven't ever brushed their teeth I mean ever and so when you look in their mouths It can be quite disturbing. And uh, there was this pastor, his name is Pastor, uh, not Hen, Ren, Pastor Ren. I met him the first time I went over, I happened to see him once this time too, but he was assisting Drew in pulling teeth and he would hold the flashlight. You have to hold a flashlight right on the spot. So you have to watch what's in the mouth and what's going on as you're holding that flashlight. Pastor Drew told me that Pastor Wren, when he was holding the flashlight, he would make a sound. Now I'm going to describe the sound to you. The sound is spelled B-R-R-R-R-R, and it's very low tone, and you're kind of puffing out your cheeks. So that would sound like, brrr, as he's looking into the mouth of the individual. And when I started looking into the mouth, I told myself, just breathe. Just breathe as you 're looking in there, the first mouth that I looked into that I was helping drew with, I started to feel a little woozy i actually this is kind of embarrassing, but I fell on the person, passed out the person went down on the floor, and drew had to step back and he grabbed my leg and he pulled me out and he pulled my leg just like i 'm pulling yours that re- <laughs> that really didn't ha- <laughs> that really didn 't happen, but i I was telling myself just Breathe, just breathe as I looked into the first mount. And so this woman was having her tooth pulled and I, I got to pull my first tooth, worked on a couple more teeth after that. Let's go to the next picture. That's the dental tools that you get to use uh, on there. That's the table that's set up. That's only half the tools that are used. Uh, go to the next picture. This is the team. Now, this particular picture is taken in a Buddhist village. There was not a church there. This is the first time we've done this. Go to a village where there is no church, but pastors were going to the area. They asked us to come, and there were shrines all around. I don't know if I included a picture of all the shrines. We were surrounded by Buddhist shrines, and it is said, you go to Cambodia, uh, some people say that each shrine is inhabited by a demon. So we would have been surrounded, if that is true, by a demon in each one of these shrines. So uh, that was a little office or something right there. Now, this is a different site. This was uh, the second to the last site that we went to. Uh, back in the back is the latrine, and out of the latrine was black, black brackish water, and the smell was just, let's just say it was overwhelming. Uh, but this is the group. Uh, for that particular day there were 21 people that were part of our group and then there's additional pastors and village leaders that sometimes are in the pictures here Uh, one guy on the left in the red shirt he's the driver his name is T Uh, but let's go to the next picture this was the last day uh, we were pulling teeth Uh, this is back in a back of a church Uh, that's pastor drew myself in the background uh, the woman in the orange kind of shirt or mustard-colored shirt, that's Eva. She is a missionary from Germany. She has learned the Khmer language. She is going to marry the pastor of Calvary Chapel, Phnom Penh. Uh, so she, she speaks Khmer. She speaks English. She speaks German. And I think she may know some of another language. Right next to her is Esther. She's from Germany. She was a dental hygienist for 10, 12 years in Germany. So let's go to the next one. Uh, Eva is on the right there, Ziggy is in the middle she is a nurse and Vani is the pharmacist who actually gets the drugs that we need to pass out to people and in the back that's Pastor Rolf from Germany, uh, Cabaret Chapel Lipstadt and he is the father of Eva so let's go on to the next one now here's some of the uh, little shrines that are set up this was right next to where we were um, and travelers would go through this area on motorcycles little motos let's go to the next one it's only a few more pictures this is the gospel station that steve sutton he is a missionary from america he knew the lord told him that he was going to be a missionary so he started studying here he thought he was going to go to cambodia or excuse me. He thought he was going to go to Colombia, so he started to learn Spanish. He knows how to speak Spanish, but God called him to Cambodia, so he learned how to speak Kamai in Cambodia and he also speaks English. And his children are bilingual. Uh, the youngest boy, Angel, he was with us. He's five years old, and he was kind of a riot to have around with us as well. That's him and his family. He has three kids of his own that are in this picture and four that he has kind of adopted, and he has a whole story with that. So he takes care of seven kids himself as a missionary. Let's go. Next one. Uh, this is a gospel station. This is just out front of where we are, just to give you an idea of what it looks like. Go to the next picture. That's it. Okay, so that—that's kind. Of, I have probably 20, 25 pictures of different things going on, but I just wanted to give you a feel for what it's like, uh, going there. The weather—it was not like it is here. Uh, it would be hot. You would be wet and smelly at the end of the day because of just the, the humidity that is there. That does wonders for your skin. You puff out like a little seal because the water you just absorb in your body. And one of the things on a trip like this is uh well, like the the plane ride you have to wear flight socks because otherwise you get cankles you guys know what cankles are it's the calf and the ankle you no longer have an ankle that turns into a cankle because it swells because of the water retention that's there and your feet get all fat too and that's one of the things that happen you retain some of that while you're over there because the humidity is so high uh, so that's one of the drawbacks to the trip Uh, So why did I, myself, go uh, with others to Phnom Penh? It's it's really to conduct these medical gospel missions. There were five Germans, three Australians, three Americans, two missionaries from other countries, one the United States, the other from Germany, and eight Cambodians who worked well. All of us worked well together. And there were occasionally the pastors and the village leaders that would be there uh, assisting as well and everything went out, went on without a hitch there were really no problems that we experienced this time and i'm sure that's because of your prayers now some of these people that went to chapel alpine of course it was drew and gina uh, who were there and i was considered part of that group Uh, Even though I am Calvary Chapel uh, Lakeside, there were people from Australia, Dr. Joan, who is a medical doctor, retired, Kaz or Karen, and Peter, who is an EMT, uh, from Calvary Calvary Chapel Lipstad, uh, Pastor Rolf, his wife Regina, uh, Siggy, who is a nurse, Stephanie, who is the sister of Esther, and Esther, who is the dental assistant, and then Phnom Penh, there was Eva and Nunn and Lynn and eight others, and at least eight or ten others that were from the church there. And, of course, Stephen Sutton, the missionary, who was there. Now, what was accomplished? Uh, well, we would have the clinics in Phnom Penh. As I've described to you, we would start them out giving them a number. And we have numbers. They're um, Laminated, and numbers go from 1 to 100. And when the people show up, we give them a number. And we know approximately how many people have been there because we go through 100 numbers. We know that that day we have seen at least 100 people. Now, the kids don't get numbers. Just the adults get numbers. And there was a lot of children that came through as well. And so by the time the trip ended, we saw somewhere between 800 and 1,000 uh, people that would go through on these different... Uh, little clinics that we would have, Uh, as I've said in the past, that is small in comparison to the number of people that we see when we go to Africa. In Africa, in one day, there can be 450 people underneath a banyan tree there that are waiting to be seen, but we usually can't see all of them, and that's a tragedy that we can't. Now, we had travel anywhere from five kilometers to 90 kilometers away. That's anywhere from three miles to 50 miles. Uh, We'd get on the roads And the stations, as I said, we'd give them numbers, and they would take the number. Once they got the number, they would go to triage. We'd find out what's wrong with them. We'd take their blood pressure, take their heart rate, ask them what their most specific thing is that they need attention for, because usually they have multiple issues. And they get a choice of two stations, either the glasses, the medical, or the dental and they have to pick only two. If we could, we'd let them see all three, but just with the numbers of people, we we can't do that. And so they go immediately to the gospel station, hear the gospel, then they wait to go to the two stations that they want to go to, and they're wearing numbers around their neck. They're color-coded. If it's pink, it's for the eyes. If it's green, it's for the medical. If it's yellow, Uh, It is for the teeth, which rhymes with the teeth, the way that they look, and sometimes it's even worse. By the way, the first woman that I pulled her tooth, there was more tartar on the tooth than there was a tooth. Uh, And and it's just, it's really uh, difficult to see that. So that's what we would do. And the medications are anything that we have um, medicine for. And we give everybody deworming medicine. I started my deworming medicine because I'm over in country. I started that this morning. Uh, and I will take that for three days. And We give that to everybody, both adults and for children. And uh, going on with this, how many people receive salvation? Now, we change something this time uh, as opposed to other times when we've gone. Pastor Hung, who was with us before, who suffered a stroke, I don't think he is able to drive any longer. He's reliant on his son. Uh, But we've been working with Stephen, and Stephen gives the gospel in a little bit different manner because Pastor Hung, he would ask the people with a raise of hands, how many people would like to accept Christ? Well, the people are waiting to get stuff. In their mind, are they going to raise their hand? They are. They're going to raise their hand. So Pastor Hung would come back and say, 100% of the people accepted Christ. We know that that's not true, that that doesn't take place like that. So now we just give the gospel, and Stephen asked the people, whoever wants to pray to receive salvation, just pray with me out loud. And he would just listen, and he he could get an idea of how many people were accepting Christ and who wasn't. And even in that little Buddhist village, there were people accepting Christ. And they had never heard about Christ before, and so that was kind of exciting to see that. So how many people receive Christ? We don't know the exact numbers, but out of 800 to 1,000 people that we see, we know that some are getting saved. And, of course, this is implied in Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20, where Jesus gave the Great Commission. He says, Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Well, to make disciples, you have to do the work of evangelism. If you don't do the work of evangelism, making disciples, they they don't know what they're really being a disciple of or who. And so we explain to them Jesus Christ. So it is implied in that particular scripture, it is just our job to sow the seed Um, I've described what it's like to sow seed before, but even Jesus described how the sower of the seed and the one who gathers the crop can rejoice together in John chapter four, uh, verse 36. He says, even now, the one who reaps draws a wage and harvests a crop up for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. So we go in and we sow the seed. The pastors from Calvary Chapel, Phnom Penh, and the related churches that we go to, it's the small churches in the villages that say, yes, we'd like you to come. And so we come to those villages, and then that pastor does the follow-up, and he's the one that really reaps the harvest of the discipleship uh, that is there. And so we're working together. We just do the preliminary work of going in and bringing the people in because they need stuff, and we give them physical things, which are only temporary. They don't last forever, but we hope to give them the eternal thing of salvation. So we sow that seed. And we are also supposed to recognize we're to go into all the world. You know, this is Acts chapter 1, verse 8, that we are supposed to go everywhere, not just to our local surrounding area. We're to be a witness for Jesus Christ in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth. Cambodia is the uttermost part of the earth. But we're supposed to do that work here as well. Each one of us, individually, is supposed to be a witness for Christ. Now, you can do both, but not everybody can do both. Uh, In Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, Jerusalem is our lakeside. Uh, Judea would be our Santee or Alpine, the El Cajon, that type of area. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria would be anywhere in the state of California or across the United States. And then to the uttermost parts, you take a trip and you go somewhere and you minister the gospel. Now, we have gone down to Mexico uh, and we have gone uh, to other countries as well. But if somebody wanted to really get involved in going on these missions trips, I'll give you some expectations and what to do for that in a moment. Now, what can you expect on a trip similar to this there's good things and there's bad things that you experience the the good uh, you're fulfilling what is implied in the great commission you're evangelizing people even Paul Paul told Timothy and Timothy I don't believe was evangelist Paul was but Paul exhorted Timothy as a pastor of the church of Ephesus do the work of an evangelist in other words give the gospel and the gospel is just not we love you Jesus loves you he has a great plan for your life and that's it that's that's not the good news the good news cannot be preached without the bad news the bad news is there's no one righteous no not one we are all under a curse the wages of sin is death gift of god is eternal life through jesus christ our lord if you confess with your mouth jesus is lord you will be saved and all who call on the name of the lord will receive the gift of salvation we have to tell people that we're all under a curse And so that's the part of evangelism, that's what it fulfills, is bringing eternal life. We also, the good thing is we relieve suffering. Now I'm going to be a little dramatic here in some of my description on pulling teeth. You open up some of these mouths and you look in there, the first thing that is overwhelming is the smell. Uh, I don't know if you've ever smelled somebody's breath that has never brushed their teeth I mean, never. Uh, It is just, you'll never forget uh, what it's like. And then you look at the plaque that covers everything in the mouth. Half the teeth are black. Uh, Most of them are worn down to nothing. There is a stub that is there. And people come in and they ask for those stubs to be pulled. But we can't pull all of them in some mouths. Uh, There are some people we pulled up to six teeth or stubs out at one time and there's still another six or eight that could be pulled out but we, we try to minister to everybody and the the job never ends basically but we do what we can and so we'd ask them which teeth hurt you the most and we would remove those teeth and so that's relieving of suffering now not only that but when you would give the, the cane it's not Novocaine it's another cane that you give them in the shot and I did that a couple of times the, the areas blanch out. I don't know if you've ever seen that, but when you're shooting into a gum, that particular numbing solution causes the gum to turn white. It blanches out, and that you can tell that it's actually working. And in a lot of the cases, when you would push that in, here's some graphic, it would push out the pus that would be inside the gum. I'm sorry if I'm being a little graphic, but I need to kind of communicate to you uh, what's going on. And, and then you mix with that. Everybody has gingivitis. Everybody bleeds. You mix that all together. And it's kind of a, um, it's a difficult thing for them and for those who are helping. When I started, like I said, I told myself to breathe. By the end, I was okay. I could hold that flashlight right there. It's like, okay, just deal with it, Bill. You know, don't worry about what's going on. And these people, they're, they're getting some relief Uh, and so that suffering is taken by the wayside as well as the people that medications you know they have worms they have uh, skin ailments they have internal problems in their torso and we try to deal with that so that's a a good thing then there's the building of international relationships for future ministry Uh, pastor rolf he goes you need to come to germany and I, okay, we need to go to Germany. And when I come to Lakeside, I stay at your house. And I know, oh, yeah, okay, you stay at our house, you know, so you build those relationships. He went to Calvary Chapel San Diego, visited from Germany, and uh, he started a church over in Germany. When he came here, but he got some training here and, and met some people. And so he's been here several times and the family was just wonderful. And the women he brought over, just wonderful in working with each other and with all the rest of the team. And you gain a new perspective on how the rest of the world lives when you go uh, to these uh, foreign countries like that. Just the poverty. Uh, it's not like here. There are poor people here that have a car and two televisions and their refrigerator is full and they have full medical care. It's not like that over there. Uh, and as I've said before, Africa is even worse. And it, there's a transformation that takes place if you allow it to take place, where you go from apathy to empathy, where you're able to even sympathize with the people and their plight. And they live with pain and suffering every single day. Most of the people over there in these villages, they don't don't wear shoes. They wear, you know, like the little flip-flops and different kinds of shoes like that. And you look at their feet, and they don't have a problem with feet being in shoes for years, you know, where the toes all go together, that type of thing. Their toes are spread out. And they usually work in the mud, in the rice fields, or in um, uh, the lotus flower ponds. Now, they harvest the lotus flower for the flower. It's beautiful flower. And inside of that are seeds, and they harvest the seeds. But it's constantly in brackish water, black water, like sewage water. That's where they grow, and they, f- they filter the water. And they're walking in that all day long. That's what they do. And so then they come in and you see the shoes they're wearing and you see their feet and it's encrusted with mud or dirt and that, that's how they live. And then you, you gain that perspective and it transforms you from apathy to empathy and then the realization that there is darkness all over the world. I think in the United States we become numb to the darkness. One of the things, when you get there, the darkness is overt. It's outside everywhere. You see the shrines. You see the idol worship. You see the, the monks, the Buddhist monks that go, I've described this before, they go from store to store or shop to shop or vendor to vendor and they ask for money or they ask for food. In exchange, they will pray for you. If you don't give them anything, it's, I'm going to use a Hawaiian term, it's bad juju. Uh, you You may have curses or spirits visit you every building. Every house has a little spirit house. They, they make them in different sizes. They can be as big as the stage or they can be as small as this. And They're on a pedestal and there's offerings made to the spirits of the house. There are rituals. If somebody dies in a house, oh, that's really bad. If they die in the house and there's certain things you have to do to keep the spirit from indwelling the house and having bad things happen to you and you make these little offerings. Say, oh, I was walking down the street and I saw $100 bills in the dirt and the water in the street in Phnom Penh. And I, st- I had to stop. And I'm looking. it 's a $100 bill. There's several of them. Well, it's fake money. And they take that fake money and they put them in the little shrines so that the spirits are rich. And and then you have the tea and you have the coffee and you have the food and you have little snacks that they place there. And you have incense and it's all to appease these spirits that are in the house, the spirits of the ancestors who are there. And it, The superstition, it's right out there in the open. And they worship these false gods. Of course, Buddhism is a godless uh, religion. You just go to be one with the whole of the universe, so to speak. There is no personal god. But it's right out there in the open. And when you come back to the United States, it's kind of shrouded. You don't really see it, even though it's all around us and it's pervasive. And I could just go down that path for the rest of the message, but I'm not going to do that. But you recognize it there. You see how the darkness is just relevant. And then there's a chance that you get to put shoe leather to your faith. This is a good thing. You exercise your faith, your trust, your commitment to Jesus uh, there's an increase in your prayer life we have a devotion we get up at 5am we go to devotion at 6am you eat at 7am you're in the van by 7.30 or 7.45 you're traveling to the place you immediately set up you pray before uh, it begins we do whatever we need to do we pray for the people in the midst of that and we pray when we end and when we go back and we pray and uh, for the food and any other prayers that we may have to lift up we do it at that time so there's an increase in your prayer life and you also have the ability to bring encouragement to others who are in the ministry team that come over there because there's all sorts of people that go Uh, i was asked several questions like at dinner about different things and whether it's theology or whether it's practicality and ministry uh, and those questions, you have a chance to answer those, and of course, you get to know the other people, and you break out your phone, and say, "These are the pictures of the my family, and this is what we 've done before and it 's all good, especially participating from people of other countries, other cultures and i learned a lot about the German culture, how it 's much different, and things you can 't say, and things you shouldn 't do in the country there and I related things in the United States that you can and can 't do, and it was just interesting. And the brief worship times that we have and the devotions are just excellent. It's like a small home fellowship in a room. You might have 20 people there, a guitar. Uh, sometimes it's singing a cappella, And it's just, it's wonderful to be in that kind of environment. And this is the frontline ministry opportunity that people have. Here, sometimes we go to church on Sunday and that's it. Or you go to church on Sunday, you go to a study and that's it. And you don't get the chance to be on the front line. Now, the bad things, uh, some of the bad things, you can go on several of these trips and you start comparing them to each other, and you can't do that. Sometimes you have just hundreds and hundreds of people, and then the next time, not so many hundreds. And you think, well, it's not as effective. Now the Lord brings us to where he wants us to minister, reaching specific people, and that's the task. Another downside is you can start to judge those when you come back who don't go you can start to say why don't you be a little more committed in your faith a little more committed to Jesus Christ why don't you suffer a little bit more why aren't you more committed in your prayer life why aren't you praying for people why don't you give more money to you know there's so many people that are suffering and you're just falling short of the ideal that's not my job to do that that's the Holy Spirit's job to do that and the people that go especially for the first time half the crew that went it was their first time a lot of them were uh from Cambodia, which is true, and they're going out to other countries as well uh, from their uh, home in Cambodia to talk to other people. But that's a danger when you come back, and you have to fight against that danger. The person who comes back just needs to be an encouragement for people to go that want to go, encourage them on that, tell them the pitfalls, what to watch out for. But it's not anybody's job that comes back to put people on a guilt trip. God is not the author of condemnation. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And, of course, that's referring to salvation, but as well just to any ministry. If somebody is feeling condemned by what is said by somebody else, that is not of God. That is not of Jesus Christ. Another downside is getting sick. This time, no one missed a day because of being sick. And I think that's a first. And I think it's because you guys are praying. And I told you when I left, please pray we don't get sick. Now, we did get sick. I I got a cold. Pastor Rolf came over, and he was honking like a goose, just coughing all the time. And, of course, um, he likes to get real close to talk to you. And so I I caught whatever he had and so did Dr. Joan, but we just dealt with it. Took an antihistamine, you know, and one night I was a little stuffy and I took some medication for that and you just deal with it. And I think it's mostly gone now. Uh, so we did get sick, but it was just a couple of people got colds and we could deal with that and everybody was able to go. Some of the past trips, you can get malaria, uh, the diarrhea, lack of sleep, exhaustion, I told you about the cankles and being delirious from the travel. You can become delirious. And then there's the smells, uh, the visuals that you see, uh, the breaking down. Uh, One time we broke down. No, twice we broke down in vehicles on different trips. There was one trip in Cambodia. The car broke down. We were on the side of the road for probably an hour. And Pastor Hung was able to jury-rig something. I think it duct tape and baling wire or something it, and it got the vehicle running uh, another time in Africa uh, they believed that if you took out the thermostat in the radiator in the engine you know if you took that out the car ran cooler the car is overheating you know and they can't figure out why it's overheating and two of us in the vehicle said that's why the thermostat is in there is to keep the car from overheating and We couldn't convince them of that, but we broke down because of overheating. And and so you can find yourself in the middle of nowhere. We did. It was getting dark. There are no streetlights, roads that went on for... Hundreds of miles that are dirt roads out in the middle of nowhere. It's starting to rain and the vehicle overheated. And you just step out and go, okay, Lord, this is going to be fun. I I know it's Africa, like lions, tigers, and bears, oh my, and what else is out there? And you just start praying. Your prayer life increases during that time. So it's good. that That can happen. Then there are the insects depending on where you go the insects can be a little more uh, the, the hotel room I stayed in was $15 a night now at $15 a night in Cambodia uh, you can get different things there's cockroaches running along the wall in the hallway going back and forth that was nice to see but then there was a gecko who could have taken care of a small cockroach which was there Uh, occasionally you see the spiders i know they spray in the rooms uh, because when i i got to the room i said i'm going to check for bed bugs so i pulled back the sheet and you pull back that little rope that goes around the mattress you pull that back because that's where they stay and so i'm going all the way along the mattress i want to make sure i'm not getting eaten alive at night and i saw small ones dead they were dead and I go, okay, they're dead. And then I looked in the room, in the corners of the room, and, oh, there's some more. Dead. They're all dead. So, okay, I felt safe. I kept my luggage, everything up on top, and I didn't get bit at all. Of course, mosquito is the national bird of Cambodia. <clears throat> and there are mosquitoes everywhere. You get bit uh, several times if you don't take precautions. Um, in this particular time, I was given charge of the the pressure cooker, which sterilizes the dental instruments. And that was in my room. And all the power is 220 in there. And so I decided to have my air conditioning on and I went in to turn on the shower and the shower is a 220 unit electricity and water. They don't mix, but they're mixing right there on the shower. You have the cold water go in, you turn the unit on and it gives you the heated water, and I decided while I'm taking a shower, I'm going to go turn on the pressure cooker, so I did that, so all three 220 units were going at the same time, light went out of the room, and I thought, oh, there must be a power outage in the block or something, which is not uncommon, and so I sat there, and it just started to get hotter and hotter in the room, and I finally figured out I hear people in the hallway, maybe I'll go check and see if they're looking in the hallway to turn on the lights or if there's electricity outage well it's just my room i blew the circuit <clears throat> and so i walked down to the end of the hall i go uh, first i was going to go downstairs and you know i didn't want to tell them i blew the circuit in there but i found the circuit panel in the hallway turned back on my room success and 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 so i was able to work with that but the air conditioning didn't come on and then 2 days later the air conditioning just quit completely i'm laying there and going oh, this is like steaming in here and so i got to transfer to another room which was nicer no bed bugs and it was um, more pleasant environment the last couple of days I was there. So you, you can run into something like that. And, and the fan didn't work in my room, and you can be in Africa and there is no fan, there is no air conditioning, and you just deal with it uh, type of thing. Uh, you can run across demon possessed people. When I was in Africa, uh, I was um, doing the eyeglasses, sunglasses. There's people waiting to come into a small room. And they're waiting in line right at the door to come in. And I'm giving eyeglasses to about three or four people that are there. And this guy in the doorway, all of a sudden, he goes to the ground. And when he's on the ground, his eyes are doing funny things. And he's rolling around a little bit. And he's pushing things away, pushing people away. I'm trying to figure out what's going on with this guy. And then it just kind of dawned on me. This guy, he's either... And we thought he was having a seizure... But it, the medical professionals were there and they're saying, this is not a seizure. And they described all the types of seizures that you can have, like a grand mal seizure. And they said, no, it's, this is not a grand mal seizure. That's not what this is. And I, would be, I believe it was the reaction of everybody that, that was there that was a believer. And it was some type of demonic activity. I believe he was demonically possessed. And they, the pastors that were there grabbed him, took him out onto the lawn. And he was just, he was, um, uh, arms were flailing erratically, legs, same thing. And they were just keeping him uh, safe for himself out in the middle there. Well, there was another time, this time, that I'll get to in a moment. And so you can run across people who are demon-possessed. And... There is a sense that you can get of uncertainty. The first time I went to Cambodia, I arrived at probably midnight, and we're driving through the streets, and I'm just looking at everything that's out there. And it, it's just different. And I started getting this sense, almost like fear, like, I am not in Kansas anymore. You know, this, this was different. This, it felt dark, But I couldn't really describe what it was. But there's this uncertainty that, am I in the right place? This this doesn't feel safe or secure at all. And I remember that sense. Well, this time, some of the people from Germany came over and they said that. They said that when they arrived, it it was just like the spiritual darkness, whatever it was. But they just got this anxiety building up inside. So you can get that when you go to these places. I had it once, and that was in Cambodia. Uh, but when you arrive, you just have to ask the Lord to calm your spirit. You're, you're fine. You're going to be okay. And if you're not, well, it's home to glory uh, if you're not. But you know, we're not supposed to worry about that type of thing. So that can happen as well. But we have to have the realization that eternity is at stake, and these problems for a person who is supposed to go will be overcome. You're not going to worry about those things. You're just going to go, look, I have a mission Christ told me to go to that mission. There may be suffering involved. There may be anxiety involved, but he's the one that's in control. And so uh, these things can be downsides, but they allow you to persevere, so to speak. You get a chance to do that. So what happened on this trip? As I said, no one got sick and missed a day because of illness. and That's unusual. Uh, Prayer was offered. Uh, Many people... I'm sure we're praying back here, but we got to pray for hundreds of people and their ailments. And some of them were severe, not as severe as I've seen in the past. And of course, the, the numbers that got ministered to you, I already gave you that. The, the insects, they were definitely there. Uh, it wasn't the rainy season, but... Um, there were, still, there were still a number of them there. The travel times and ways... It, 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 it's something that... It's not as difficult in Cambodia anymore... Uh, because you go... And there are the high-rises. There were restaurants that you would not know... You're not in the United States. Uh, the last restaurant we ate at... It was right across from the hotel. The name of the restaurant was... The Best Coffee in Cambodia. Something like that. And so we said, okay, we're going to go there. They had a menu... And the meal that I had, it was just, I had this hamburger, and it looked like the hamburger in the commercials. It doesn't look like the hamburger you get at McDonald's in the package. And I looked at that, look at this hamburger, you know, and the French fries that that were there and the other meals that were there and the shakes that people got, and you would not know you're in Cambodia. And then right across next door to our hotel... There's pig's feet and ribs laying out in the open. It's just right there from one site to the other. And then also next to the restaurant is this little cart a kiosk that they're fixing meat that it's mystery meat you have no idea what it is it's sitting out there you don't want to eat that stuff and and rice every day wherever you go they have rice and, and so all of those things were around us constantly and they have starbucks down the street and then there's brown coffee brown coffee is even better than starbucks and they have a little restaurant menu and it's fantastic you go You wow it's really come up in the world since the last time we were there and and but you have the squalor right next to the wealth and it's like that on every single block russian market is still the same where you have rotten meat or meat that's been sitting out for hours with the flies all over it and you know you have all of that live fish and crabs and uh, frogs whatever you wanted to get to eat and it's all right there for you and then <clears throat> the amount that you pay uh, over there the the uh, transfer rate from reals to dollars is about forty one hundred, forty two hundred, and so you could get your laundry done for two bucks. Uh, you could uh, my hamburger, a hamburger like that in a restaurant normally here be fifteen. You might spend twenty dollars with a tip and a drink, something like that. It was six dollars uh, to have a. You could eat the best food over there for very little. Um, the camaraderie. You, you, we went. Out and, you know, there's always joking and um, you, you do little pranks on people. I remember one trip, this woman, Heidi, who is, Damaris, is Dr. Damaris from Mexico, her sister, uh, pulled a prank on Drew's son. And that prank was, oh, everybody here, we have to wash our hair with this particular shampoo to get rid of the lice because everybody gets lice over here. Which is not true at all, but she convinced him. She had the straightest of faces when she was telling him, and I had to pull him to the side. I said, "She pranked you. You don't have to do that, you know." And and you have times like that where you're just having fun out there ministering, but then there's the serious conversations about theology, life, and the church and ministry, and, and it's just a mixture, so to speak and of course the the pulling of the teeth that was interesting and this final little story that I'll deal on deal with here i've got 8 minutes Matthew 17:14 says when they came to the crowd a man approached Jesus and knelt before him lord have mercy on my son he said he has seizures and suffers greatly he often falls into the fire and into the water and i brought him to your disciples but they could not heal him so there was something wrong with the son where he had these seizures. And the King James says he's a lunatic and he's vexed. <clears throat> we were at this one particular place and a woman came and she had one tooth in her head. It was a lower eye tooth. And we ministered to her and she said, can you come and visit my son? He's only right down the road here. And so we agreed and several of us went down. <clears throat> we got to the house. I'm just going to describe it how it was unfolded. You go to the house, there's an asphalt road, and then right off the road it drops down about one foot to 18 inches, so you have to step down. Then it goes down steep, probably about 10 or 12 feet down this embankment that goes to the front of the house. This house is a a three-story house. Down below is where you'd park any motos or if you had a car, if you could get to it, but you can't any longer get to it because of the drop-off from the road because of the rains. You get down there, and the whole house is its built on maybe four-by-four or eight-by-eights that go up, and then you have corrugated, rusted metal all around the outside, and corrugated, rusted metal for the roof. You, they opened up the bottom section where you go in, there would be dirt with water and old clothes would be in that and the smell of sewage is in that and the house on the inside is open, it's like a three level you have the bottom area where nothing could survive, nothing could live especially the stench which is there then over to the, my, your left hand side, my right hand side was this door that was about three feet high and the door was open and inside you saw what acted like a mosquito That was just a thin piece of cloth. And there was a young man who came to the door that was right there. And this young man, he pulled down the mosquito net and all that was on the inside, I was able to stand up. There was only room for two of us stood up on that area. And it's a wood floor that's there. And this wood floor goes all the way back. And that's three sections. This one goes all the way back. The center section where you could park your motos. Then it went up to another level that was on the inside. And it was a wood floor. And there was just a mattress on the wood floor. Two elderly people were up there. And as we went to the door where the young man was, he was 20 years old at age 17. He had cholera and it affected his mind and the mom said that he would go around the house and he would take the post in hand and he would beat his head against it to where he started to become bloody and he would become violent running through the house through the lower section that was like sewage and they were keeping him on this mattress and his leg had an actual chain with a lock on it and it was around his leg and he was standing there when I stepped up he walked away from me. He, his back was to me. He turned around like this. And all he had on was a pair of shorts besides this chain and this lock. And his mother chained him to the post to keep him from hurting himself because he would run through the house and he would scream, be violent, and, and injure himself. And he, we asked him to turn around through an interpreter and he came back and he sat down and he squatted down and his face was down And I started to say a few words, and he said something in Kamai. He goes, that's English. I recognize English. And he's looking at me through, like, the corner of his eye. You know, he's not really turning and looking at me. And I just knew something was up. And in the household, the two elderly women that were there, they could not get around very well. They kind of had to scoot them. The mom had only one tooth in her head. The father, I think he was the father, showed up, and he was completely drunk. He was kind of useless, and the house was just gripped in poverty. And as he came over, we asked him to come over. We started praying for him, and he didn't react in a funny way, but you could tell there was just something wrong. We don't know if the cholera affected his brain or it was just that, along with the spiritual darkness that he was involved in. And we prayed for him, and I walked away from that just incredibly sad, almost to the point of tears where I was thinking, This poor young man, uh, he could have helped his family and now he is completely worthless because of the disease that has struck him and the people that were there in that particular village the same thing just the generational poverty the there was one 14 year old girl that had teeth the front teeth that were completely blackened and rotten she we had to pull out her two permanent front teeth and some permanent teeth on the bottom and she's going to be like that for the rest of her life and she was a cute girl you know and and you just felt sorry and then you see the ravages of sin that are over the country and people just buy into it and that's how they they live and they don't really change anything in the Buddhism that is there that keeps people locked into a cultish system and you just get sad for the people and the sin that is there then you come back to the United States and you see it here it becomes more clear when you're here because you have the perspective of being over there and you, you can come back and you can be sad for what's going on here because we are pretty much blinded to it we, we don't see the spiritual darkness that is here. And so that's one of the effects. And that's one of the things I came away with with, was just the sadness of the effects of sin and people caught in it. And Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. And at the time of Christ, it was just like it is in these foreign countries, these third world countries. You know, so I want to leave you with this. I'm right at the top. I have one minute. Jesus definitely came to seek and to save that was, which was lost. And that's in Luke chapter 19 when Jesus is dealing with Zacchaeus. And, of course, Zacchaeus was a tax collector and he said, today salvation has come to this house. That's what we hope to bring to everyone else is that salvation. And Rudy gave me a book about Hudson Taylor before I took off and I was able to read most of that on the trip and how the Lord changed him. But what if you question yourself and you say, maybe I'd like to go, what do I have to do? First pray about it. First go on a trip to like Mexico, Cambodia, is similar to Mexico. Then go to a place like Cambodia. That would be second. Then you can go to a place like Africa or India. Don't just go to Africa or India and say, I'm going to do a work for the Lord. You have to be prepared to do that. Now I know that we're at the top of the hour, but I wanted to make sure You had a chance to ask any questions. And whether online, do you you guys have any questions about a trip like this? Is there anything that's, well, what what did you do about this? Or what did you do about that? And you may not have any questions at all, but I, I wanted to see if you have any questions. Anybody have a question? Yes, Sarah. I, <clears throat> I don't know how he does it. He didn't explain it to us. But I've been, I'm going to give you a personal note here. I was on a ski trip, and I'd gone on a ski lift with a Buddhist. Captive audience. He's not going to go anywhere. And so I, I started talking to him. I said, do you go to church? He goes, oh, no, I'm a Buddhist. I said, you're a Buddhist. He goes, yes, our religions are very similar. I said, really? <clears throat> and so I told him about Jesus Christ. And salvation. I just went straight to the gospel, you know, what it is. I talk about Jesus, how he came to earth. I I don't think it's a time where you'd give an apologetic for the Christian faith as opposed to the Buddhist. You just give the gospel. Would you like to go to heaven? And if they say, well, I think we're similar. No, we're not similar. And Jesus said, he's the only way. He's the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by him. So that's what I would do. I don't know what Stephen does, but he, he condensed down his message to the people which are mostly buddhist and he's been doing it for years over there so that's what i think he would do any other questions was there any online okay um, one final thing all of us i think if we go on a trip or we're witnessing you have to be prepared first thing you have to be prepared for is sacrifice you have to be willing to sacrifice of your own money your own time your own relationships that you have, you have to be willing to just walk away from those, whether it's long time or short time. The people that are missionaries there did that. They walked away from everything that they knew, and now they're in a foreign country, and they've learned the language. So prepare to sacrifice. Second, prepare to be humbled. Humility is the fear of the Lord. When you go to a place like this, you can be humbled by the circumstances in which you must live and the circumstances in which others live and it brings a sense of humility and so you want to try to cultivate that you want to be prepared to divest yourself of pride whatever you think you are or whatever you think you might be or the skills you think you have when you go to a place like that you don't have any of that it's just different it's not here and then if necessary you need to be prepared to suffer That's what Christ calls us to do in in Philippians chapter 1. He says, you have been given the privilege to suffer for his name. And so you put all those things together, and if you say, I'd like to go on a trip like that, okay, just be prepared. Be prepared to suffer. Be prepared to sacrifice, to be humble, to divest yourself of all pride. If I left you with anything, I would leave you with that. And, of course, keep praying the man's name, the young man's name, it sounds like it's not spelled like this, but it sounds like Hung Lo. And low is pronounced, or spelled L-O-T, but it is, it's pronounced low. So just be praying for Hung Lo. I've been praying for him every day. And just pray for him. His mom was in tears when we were praying for him. And he's just not right. There were other things that went on, but he's just not right. And the Lord can heal him. So let's pray. Father, we... We thank you for the opportunities. We who are here in this church, Calvary Chapel Lakeside, you have provided the funds and the wherewithal to go several times to Cambodia and abroad, to Africa and Mexico. It has been a blessing to us, Lord, that you consider us worthy to be able to participate. We know that this privilege should not be taken lightly and we are reverent in fear of you and the awe of your power of being able to transform individuals across the continents. We'd ask that you'd give us more opportunities, that you would give us more words of wisdom, that you would increase our faith and increase our knowledge of your word, that we might be more effective for your kingdom. In Jesus' name, and the church said, please stand.